last weekend. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he in your life? When you think about Jesus, who is he personally to you? See, this is where this has to get personal to us in our lives. It can't just be, well, Jesus was this guy. I know that because I've read it. No, who, who is he now in your experience, in your life? You'll recall we looked at this last weekend, and Peter responds and says, you're the Messiah, the living God. And Jesus commends him and says, ah, good. You only know that because my Father in heaven must have revealed it to you. It's the only way that you could know uh, who I really am. And, you know, back in that time, the Jews of the day couldn't handle the thought that this guy is the Messiah. Because they were all ready for a king. They were, they were looking for some royalty. They were looking for some military might and power, not some dude walking around in sandals. That's not their idea of who the king would end up being. Jesus was too kind and too loving to be their next king. He was too compassionate They weren't looking for compassion. They were looking for an iron fist. They were looking to put some fear into surrounding nations once again. They were looking for somebody to come along uh, and kind of put them back on the map. And we need a new ruler. We need a new king. And, of course, all the love and kindness and compassion in Jesus' heart, there was one group of people that he was very critical of and ripped into constantly. The people who were the religious leaders the people who were in charge of religion and in charge of the law at that time. He constantly uh, was just telling them, you, you are, you've got it all wrong. You don't have what it, what it takes. You don't have what, it, what matters in here. You're just upholding a bunch of religious ritual and a bunch of religious routine. So we're going to continue with this question, who is Jesus? And I'm going to keep asking it all three weekends. Who is Jesus to you? Turn to the person next to you and say, who is Jesus to you? In Mark 6, we get a little bit of background on the man, okay, on who Jesus was. Starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus left the part of country he lived in, and he returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And they said, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform these miracles? Then they scoffed at him and said, ah, he's just that carpenter. He's just a carpenter. He's the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. We know this guy. He's just some local carpenter who lives here in Nazareth, or is from Nazareth. They were offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus said, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. I don't know about you, but I don't want Jesus. If there's going to be anything in my life that Jesus is amazed at, I don't want it to be unbelief. You don't want Jesus to look at you and I and say, I am stunned at the unbelief of that person. That's, that's not the way we want to be heading uh, in our journey with him. A carpenter in those days was a little different than a carpenter today. We would generally think of a woodworker, right, somebody who can build cabinetry, so on and so forth. Back then, he would have, he would have dealt, of course, with wood, but also fabric uh, materials, steel, 
He would have used all kinds of material and product and done all kinds of construction, both big and small, uh, in his, uh, in his uh, occupation. In fact, he would have fit in beautifully in a city like this. He, he, a good blue-collar working guy, used to steal, used to working with his hands. That's who Jesus, the person, was. And they looked at him and said, ah, he's from here. He's just one of those steel workers from here. What's he going to do? What's he know? I remember him watching him do all the construction and all the building over the years. Eh, he can't really be this powerful. Something's off here. This, stuff's, this stuff must be all made up. This stuff must be all uh, phony. There's a lesson right off the hop for you and I. Do not ever fall prey to the world's thinking that categorizes people based on what side of the tracks they're from or based on their occupation or their perceived wisdom or skill set and determine ahead of time, that person really could do amazing things and oh, that person's just regular old Joe Blow. No, Jesus specializes in coming along and taking regular ordinary people and doing amazing things. And that should excite you because let's be real, all of us in this room are regular ordinary people. Jesus gets a hold of your life, and he says, I'm going to start to flow through you, and amazing things are going to happen if you'll just get out of the way and let me come through you, and let my power uh, come through you. Don't ever let anybody else limit you. Don't ever let anybody else talk you down and say, you can't accomplish much. You just are this. You're just one of those laborers from Hamilton. No, I can do a lot because of the Jesus that I serve. It's nothing to do with uh, what people may, uh, you know, rank people in society. Once you get a hold of Jesus and you know who Jesus is, everything changes. Can I hear an amen? Jesus came as their king, but he wasn't the king they wanted. They wanted Israel to be made great again. And he came along and said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not what I'm doing. I'm here to serve. I'm going to be the most compassionate king that you've ever experienced. I'm going to be the most compassionate king that you've ever known. Matthew 15, verse 29, we start to get a a glimpse into the compassionate heart of Jesus. And I want to make sure we all get this today. I want to make sure that your hearts are open to receive this today. Because Jesus, as your compassionate king, changes everything. It says, Jesus left and went to the Sea of Galilee and went up on a mountain and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they laid these people at his feet. And he healed them. They were amazed when they saw mute people speaking, crippled, made well, lame, walking, blind, seeing again. And they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been here three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they might collapse. His disciples said, well, where can we get enough bread way out here to feed this crowd? And he said, how many loaves do you have? Seven, they said, and a few fish. He told them to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish, gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to the disciples. And they then turned and gave them to the people. All the people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides all the women and children. We're talking like 10,000 people here. After Jesus sent the crowd away, he got into a boat and went uh, by himself to Megadon. Now, think about the compassion being displayed right here. There's a whole lot wrapped up in this story. Imagine modern-day conference speakers, modern-day famous pastors doing ministry the way Jesus did. We would think people being healed, people seeing, limbs growing back. Like, that, that would be... 
what we're all there for. That would be the show. That would be what it's all about. And imagine a speaker stopped everything after a few days and said, well, it's just time to sit back and eat. We're going to feed 10, 12, 15,000 people because I can tell you're all hungry. Most of us in our modern society, we wouldn't show the compassion over something seemingly so trivial. We would be like, hey, look at what I'm doing here. I don't have time to be feeding all these people. I'm healing them. They should be grateful enough that they can see again. They can worry about food once they get out of here. I don't have time in my schedule to be breaking bread and standing around while all these guys go and feed people. Yet Jesus cared about the big things and he cared about the little things. And I want to remind you all today, Jesus cares about the big details in your life and he cares about the small details in your life. When you have an encounter with Jesus, he doesn't just heal you. He heals you. He feeds you. He encourages you. He leaves you feeling great about yourself. And you go on into a new life having met the greatest person you will ever meet. He's a compassionate king. We wouldn't really do this today. Or if we would, maybe it would be a gimmick. Imagine you knew coming to church was free pizza every single time. Free pizza night all the time. People uh, People would be flocking. He had compassion, and the scriptures tell us he was moved by that compassion. This is a key to understanding Jesus. It's one thing for us to see a need, but let's be real. How many of us are moved by compassion? How many of us are moved when uh, we see people, uh, you know, hurting, and we see people, in his case, just a practical need like hunger? He didn't just feel the compassion. He then acted on the compassion. Jot that down somewhere in your notes or if you're following along on the church app. There's all sorts of little life principles you're going to pull out of Jesus as we examine him over these few weeks. And that's one of them. It's great to see a need, but it's greater to meet a need. And Jesus demonstrated living a life meeting needs in other people. Don't ever believe the lie, well, I don't have time to meet those trivial needs because I'm too busy praying for big things to happen. Jesus did both. He cared about the small needs in someone's life, and he wanted to make sure they were healed, restored, forgiven, set on a new path, and their life would never be the same again. Because he loves people. He loves you and I. And before anybody starts to think, well, maybe he was looking at that as a way to draw bigger crowds. This guy was doing, you know, fed us all from nothing, you know, a few little loaves. You'll recall back when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says who he is. Then he says to them all, do not tell anybody. Don't leave and tell anyone who I am. Not really what we would call a great evangelism strategy. We wouldn't uh, employ that these days. Don't tell anybody who Jesus is. Just keep it a big secret, right? No, that's not what we would do. But he had a reason uh, for doing that. There's some Bible scholars uh, who've studied what was going on at that time and some of the words Jesus was conveying when he was meeting with them. Uh, And a few ideas that you regularly hear shared uh, as to why he didn't want them prematurely or out of their own human effort trying to argue people into believing. He didn't want to rile up authorities too early. He knew where his end would come, but remember, Jesus knew the whole plan. He knew when he would be uh, sold out. He knew when he would be arrested, when he would be taken to the cross, and not a moment sooner. Some of his uh, disciples, they had faith in him, but they had not yet developed the right gifts, the right abilities, the right skills to be able to uh, properly share the good news. A lot of them, perhaps, were still out of you know, a, a human zeal, It would have been more intellectual arguments. And as I said last week, if you can talk somebody into finding Jesus, somebody else can come along and talk them out of it. Jesus' whole goal here is found in that little phrase when he says to Peter, hey, good for you. My father is the one who revealed this to you. Jesus desires that every single person who comes into that revelation is because his father reveals it. 
not because I give you free food, not because somebody argues with you. He wants to make sure that his followers are knowing how to present and bring the anointing and the power of God. He knew that his spirit was going to come after he ascended to heaven and that they would be equipped and that they would be empowered and that the Holy Spirit was going to fall on these guys. And then the, the power and the anointing he displayed was absolutely going to be something that started to flow out from them and could radically change their society and change their world. There's lots of different reasons here why Jesus would have said, don't run around just telling everybody this. Jesus is interested in people having a life-changing experience, not just intellectual head knowledge. And now here we are in 2018, intellectual head knowledge is a dime a dozen. There's a ton of people who are smarter than all of us, but they still need to have that life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. How many are grateful that you had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ when you did? Can I get an amen? Everything he did was motivated by love and compassion. Love and compassion, love and compassion, love and compassion all through Scripture. You see Jesus motivated by love and compassion. Matthew 9, 36 says, he saw the crowds and had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How do you feel when you see people that are broken and harassed? It's not too hard these days to see people whose lives are being ravaged and harassed. I, I encounter people all the time uh, just completely harassed by addictions that have taken over them, taken over their ability to think or behave uh, you know, in a clear manner. Uh, people all the time whose lives have been just harassed by bitterness and by things that they've not let go in their heart. And it just, the longer it sits there undealt with, it just takes over. It takes over and takes over. I mentioned this a month or so ago. I've seen people with the smallest little seeds of bitterness and the smallest seemingly insignificant interactions that got them to be offended. And 20 years later, it has just ravaged their life, ravaged their family. It has then been sowed into the kids. It just, bitterness ravages. Addiction ravages. Unforgiveness ravages. How do you and I feel when you see somebody broken and ravaged? Do you just try to walk on the other side of the street when you encounter somebody who's kind of looking like they're left for no good by society? They've tried all the world's ideas of fun, the parties, the drugs, uh, all the wild living, and there they are just kind of resorting to just the side of the road, a shell of the human that God created them to be ravaged by all these issues in life, teenagers ravaged by these issues. We can't allow ourselves to get to the point where we're so used to living this squeaky, squeaky clean life that it actually is like hard for us to get near people who were ravaged. Jesus had compassion and went and moved in those cases. Jesus had compassion and he showed up and said, there's a better way for you. I'm going to show you what that better way is. Nobody else is coming along to the person uh, whose life is falling apart and who's got all kinds of addictions to try to cope. No one else in their life is going to show up and try to bring them the power and the love of Jesus. God has called you and I to do that. Jesus has equipped you and I to do that, and it may mean getting into some messy situations sometimes. Jesus got into messy situations all the time. Why? Love and compassion. He had love and compassion for people. You know, it's one of the reasons as a church, and you'll hear more about this now as we're heading into the cold weather and right Christmas will be coming. Uh, but it's one of the reasons as a church, we, uh, you know, our men have mobilized the last number of years and given away hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of free bicycles to children in our city who do not have the means to get a bike. 
And every time we've done one of these events at, at the schools in the city, I'm just always struck by parents weeping and kids weeping uh, and just realizing, like, we're meeting a need here that would not have been met otherwise. At Christmas time, when many of you donate and get involved with uh, us giving Christmas you know, meal hampers and what have you to needy families in our city who aren't going to have any gifts and aren't going to have a Christmas dinner, you're meeting a practical need showing them the love of Jesus. You're seeing a need and you're being moved by compassion. A Christian should always have that tug of compassion. Something's wrong if you've been walking with Jesus and the compassion's gone. Something is wrong if you're walking with Jesus, but it's all about you and what are people going to do for me? No, no, no. What are you going to do to sow into others? What are you going to do to serve and to love other people? Can I hear an amen? We had some, uh, we had some men in our church uh, last weekend, I guess it was, or whenever Thanksgiving was, I think last weekend. Serve a Thanksgiving dinner down at one of the mission services shelters to men who are living there who aren't getting a Thanksgiving dinner with their families. These guys showed up with other volunteers, served dinner, loved on these guys while they're in the shelter. Nobody sees this. Nobody knows this. They don't even know I'm going to share this as an example. They're not doing it for fame. They're doing it because they're moved by compassion. They're doing it because they want to uh, use the, the gifts that they have and the time that they have to bless other people. Jesus modeled compassion so that you and I could model compassion. Everything Jesus did was a model for you and I to follow. Turn to your neighbor and tell them compassion never goes out of style. Never goes out of style. Who doesn't like to be on the receiving end of genuine love and compassion? You know, it's so rare in our culture these days. I've been amazed at times over the years. We've done free giveaways. We've been in this neighborhood or, or down in our Gage Park uh, neighborhood, and we've done free giveaways, you know, door-to-door door door with uh, whatever, giving free product away on the street corners, giving people away just little gifts. And I'm amazed how often people will reject the gift, like, no, 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 I'm fine. I don't, I don't want whatever you give. Oh, it's just a free box of chocolates or whatever with a little, no, that's fine. They think we're selling vacuums or we're up to something, you know, because who gives away free stuff anymore? Nobody. And there's been times where you have to like almost like argue with people, like, here, that's free. And, and then I don't want to argue, so we just walk away and they don't get their free gift. But people have been so trained that nobody cares about me enough to give me anything for free. I'm going to take this thing and then listen to you for 20 minutes, squawk on with your product that you're trying to sell me. Right? This is what we've been trained. As Christians, we should be out loving and blessing and serving people as a lifestyle period. No strings attached. I'm not, there's not a second part to this. Jesus went around healing people. He went around and shared the good news. He went around and was compassionate and did good things. There was no string attached to it. Sometimes Christians say, yeah, okay, I'll do that nice thing, but then I invite them to church. Then I ask them if they want to meet Jesus. No, you love people. You'll have plenty of opportunity to invite them, to tell them the good news. But people really want to know you actually care and love them. This is not a means to an end. This is demonstrating the love of Jesus. This is not a hook to try to convince uh, or trick somebody. This is just demonstrating the love of Jesus. Some people in your life will never have any interest in anything church-related, but they will appreciate you and the love of Jesus you've sown forever. Other people will come to you and say, whatever it is you're doing, I need to, like, I want to come. I need to find this church because you are a different human being. I want to know what you've got. God will take care of what he does in their heart. Remember, he wants his Father in heaven to reveal himself to everybody. It's not up to you and I to drag people along, make them convinced of what we know and what we believe. Jesus fixes things that are broken. 
And I want to, I mean, the fact that I feel the need to even say this, uh, it just kind of is stunning, uh, some of the turns that I see in our society. But things that happen in people's lives, I mentioned some earlier, right? I mean, I've talked to guys on the street, and I'm always stunned at when I talk to people on the street. They were often, most of the time, at one time in their life, they were married, kids in university, great jobs, careers, and then just some bad things happened. And marriages fell apart, or an addiction started, connected with the wrong person, and they end up here just looking like a disheveled, like you wouldn't look at them and think that they come from that background, but everybody's got a story. And lives get broken, and Jesus wants to come along and heal the brokenness. In our society today, it's almost getting to the point where you can't acknowledge brokenness anymore. We should actually celebrate brokenness because no one has the answer to fix it. So therefore, let's not only ignore the brokenness, let's actually celebrate the brokenness and say, hey, you are amazing in that broken state, and we uh, think it's tremendous that you're living that way. I will love you in your broken state. Jesus loves you in your broken state, but he's got so much more for you than to remain broken. You don't need to cast people aside because of their brokenness, but don't buy into the lie that we should just readily accept a broken condition and remain broken. Jesus would have been offending all kinds of people if he was around today with his teaching. I want to come and heal your broken life. I'm going to show you a better way. And again, those of you, you've experienced this. You've come from your journey. You realize I need Jesus. Like, you get it. I understand that. But understand there's many people who don't. They don't yet understand there's hope. And so they're going to grasp for anything that can bring a sense of temporary relief. That's how addictions get so bad. Anything that can bring a sense of temporary hope. You and I can offer somebody hope that doesn't require any addictions. Doesn't require any substance. It requires the love of Jesus. Amen? Nobody is too broken for Jesus to not be able to mend. Nobody. Nobody is too broken. There's a great phrase that you hear people use often. It says, uh, a phrase that goes, I can find beauty in brokenness. Many of you have experienced that in your life. In your most broken moment, your most broken state, you found the beauty of the love of Jesus. And I love talking to so many of you, and I hear all the stories, uh, uh, how people uh, ended up finding Jesus, or Jesus found you, more realistically. And it always involves this moment where his Holy Spirit, his Father, revealed himself. In the midst of your trial, the midst of your pain, the midst of your brokenness, where he showed up and said, hey, I love you and I've got more for you. And he has more for the people living around you, the people in your workplaces, your schools, your neighborhoods. 2 Corinthians 2, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Turn to the person next to you. Say, you are a new creation. Revelation 21.5 says, I make all things new. Aren't you thankful that Jesus makes all things new? He doesn't just mostly clean you up. He doesn't just help you overcome some of your hurt. He doesn't just help you get rid of a bit of your addiction. He makes all things new in your life. You do not have to settle for one piece of your life being ignored or skipped over by the love of Jesus. Sometimes we try to hide. I get it. We, we, we do that ourselves. The best thing is just open up and let him get in there. Let him do what he wants to do in our lives. I want to ask you a question today. Which part of your life is experiencing brokenness? These are questions, you know, we've got to learn to just stop sometimes and get real with ourselves and ask some real questions. 
and not just plow through life trying to ignore the things that are hurting, the things that we're dragging along, the baggage that we're carrying. What areas of your life need a Holy Spirit touch of Jesus? Which areas of your life need that power, that compassionate love of the Father, that compassionate love of Jesus? What baggage are you carrying around? You've been struggling to carry around, maybe for months or many cases for years. I remember once many, many, many years ago, we used to do uh, encounter weekends away where we would take people away for a couple days and they'd encounter Jesus. And one of the sessions uh, that would take place was on forgiveness. And if you're a human being breathing, you have to forgive at some point in your life and probably many, many, many times in your life. That's just the reality of walking this earth. And during the forgiveness session, people would, uh, you know, jot down who they need to forgive and why, and then they would come and pray with uh, somebody who was, uh, you know, working there, uh, one of the staff, and we pray with them. And it was just, it was always powerful to see people truly forgiving and letting go. And I mean, some difficult things you hear people forgiving, right? A lot of people have been raised in just awful, awful, awful childhoods and abuse and neglect and, I mean, you name it. Anything you can think of, the worst cases, and you would hear these people forgiving these people who've hurt them so bad, truly forgiving them, not just saying it, but you could see that just weeping and just it being released from them. And I remember one time, uh, uh, an elderly uh, lady was with us uh, who's not here uh, any longer. This was a number of years ago, and, and I mean, she was 70-something. I don't remember her exact age. And she needed to forgive people who abused her when she was five, six, seven. And I remember the pain and the anguish, and just as she let it all out, and she just started wailing and crying and tears pouring out as she's forgiving this person. And I, I remember walking away, first of all, just struck at how deep, the pain is, and I mean, 70 years later, I get it. But I was also kind of saddened at the fact that there's so many people living around us and so many people living in society every single day who are carrying these things. And they will, in many cases, carry them to their grave unless they encounter the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. And it was amazing that this woman at 70-something was able to do that, but I remember thinking, man, it's so sad that it took this long. How awful she's had to carry this around since she was five, six, seven years old. And now 70 years later is able to forgive and let it go and overcome it. It's not fair. It seems so unfair that somebody would live, have to live that way and have to be treated that way and have no means of overcoming it. You and I have to remember that despite how buttoned up and polite and nice the people may appear to be around you at work, at school, in your neighborhood, often there's a deep story, a deep hurt a deep pain. Jesus wants to come and bring full freedom. He wants to come and pour out full compassion, full love, full forgiveness, so that the weight of that thing is gone. Forgiveness doesn't mean you forget what happened, but it no longer scars you every single day when you wake up. Forgiveness doesn't mean that your mind is erased, but what it means is, is the burden and the pain of it starts to ease. You forgive and you give it over to Jesus, and Jesus comes along and replaces that with his peace, with his love, and with his joy. So where in your life do you need the healing and the restoration of God? In Japanese, they have an art which I'm going to butcher the name of, called Kintsugi. Kintsugi, perhaps. You can look this up online. And what this is, is, is the art of repairing broken 
dishes, broken items, broken pottery. And what, what they did, and this goes, this goes back centuries. This is a centuries-old technique that they use. When they repair these things, they don't try to smooth them all over and repair it so it looks the same as it used to. They piece it all back together. So imagine a nice uh, bowl or something that has been dropped and it's smashed into a bunch of pieces. They piece all the pieces back together. And then they use a gold sealer. And they repair it and they glue it all back together with this strong like adhesive that's made out of gold, a golden color. You can look up photos of this online. And the end product is incredible. The end product, what used to be a regular looking bowl, is now a bowl with all these amazing gold designs running through it. All these amazing gold veins and gold lines running everywhere. And what their theory is, is we don't want to repair something and just make it like it used to. We want to repair something and make it better than new. We want to make it a whole new piece of art on its own. We can accentuate the cracks. We can accentuate some of the uh, things that happened that were hurtful and painful. But now they're sealed over with gold. Now they shine and they glisten and they're bright. And people actually come and buy this stuff. They pay more for these things than the original bowls that weren't broken because there's beauty in seeing this thing was once broken, and now it's been lovingly repaired and restored. This is a picture of your, you and I, our lives with Jesus. He doesn't just come along and just patch you back up and try to hide some of the scars. He makes you beautiful. He makes you more beautiful than you were originally. And the things that were meant to hurt and destroy you now shine as a testimony to his goodness. The things that used to hurt you in your life, you can share with other people and say, look at what Jesus has done in me. I was abused this way, but now he's taken that abuse and he's turned it around for this. And I'm able to tell you there's hope and there's an answer. I don't have to try to hide it and smooth it over and pretend it never happened. I can accentuate, accentuate it with gold and let it shine and say, Jesus healed me, he can heal you. And when he heals you, you're better than new. You shine better than new. You are more valuable than you used to be because you've been touched by the healing power of Jesus. Come on, he heals broken things and makes us better than new. Look up Kintsugi. You're going to have to do a lot of searches to get the right pronunciation of that. Jesus reveals and he empowers. And this is our final point, although there's several subpoints, so I'm not quite done. Jesus modeled a spirit-filled life for us, and he has the anointing and the authority to empower you and I with the same. We have to get this as believers. This is not a willpower thing. This is not a 10 steps of behavior. If I do this, 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 and this, it all changes. Our source is him. Forgiveness comes from him. Freedom comes from him. Healing comes from him. Anointing comes from him. Everything, everything that you and I need in our lives comes from him. Remember what he said to Peter, you're blessed because my Father in heaven showed you this. My Father in heaven showed you that I am the Messiah. I am the living God. Revelation happens, okay, get ready. Revelation happens when we are close to the one who illuminates. And no other way. Revelation will happen in your heart when you're close to the one who illuminates. I used to struggle years ago at developing teaching content or messages to speak on. And I would have a thought or an idea or a theme, but I would just often, it was so laborious to try to get the pieces to go together. And it was always this kind of 
struggle that I felt in my heart. And I realized what started to happen over the years as I started to prioritize my own time and relationship with God. Just me getting with him. And he still to this day challenges me on this. Just recently he challenged me once again and said, sit at my feet like Mary did. Period. End of story. No agenda. No, nothing else. Just get into my presence and stay in my presence. Well, what I found started to happen is it was in those moments where all of a sudden like stuff would just download and appear out of nowhere and I'd have to start writing feverishly okay just point form notes I'm going to look at this later on because this stuff is all going to be preached but for now I'm just trying to spend some time with Jesus as I got close to the one who illuminates that's when revelation started to come and like I just said the risk or the temptation that I have to be sure I resist against is that I don't turn my time with Jesus into message preparation. I need a fresh relationship with him. He wants to just hang out with me and he wants to just hang out with you. And he will choose some days to download all sorts of words of freedom and hope and forgiveness into your life. Other days you won't sense a thing except the love of your Savior and that is absolutely fine. That's absolutely what we need. You got to get close to the one with the revelation. 1 Corinthians 2, in verse 9, says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him, who loves Jesus here today. <coughs> no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And nobody can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit so we can know the wonderful things that God freely gives us. Have you ever played telephone? You know, you got a room, a, a circle of like 20 people, and the first person whispers something, and then you got to see what it sounds like by the time it gets whispered 20 times. The end product is usually nothing like what it was started with. It's, it's actually quite funny, which is why people play it. Just in one circle of 20 people whispering, in theory, the same thing, it comes out the other end like, what are you talking about? That's not at all what I said. You need to be close to Jesus so that you can be in the word and in his presence and he will speak to you directly. It's great to read books. It's great to watch podcasts. It's great to be inspired and encouraged by other people. But nothing can substitute from time with the Savior, time with the Illuminator, time in his presence and in his word. And he will speak exactly what you need to hear. What you need to hear. Some Bible examples of this. I'm just going to zip through quickly. Noah, in Genesis 6, 13, God says to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living things. I will wipe them all out, right, in a great flood. The key is in Genesis 6, 9, found just a few verses prior, where it says Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth, and he walked with the Lord. Say, walked with the Lord. When you're walking with a friend or with your spouse or somebody, you walk together and you communicate together. How weird would it look if every time a husband and a wife went for a walk, if one of them was a kilometer behind the other person, and they were on this walk together. But, you know, yeah, he's up there somewhere. This is how we go on walks. No, when you walk with somebody, and if you do do that, husband, slow down and wait for your wives. When we walk together, we communicate together. And it says, Noah, God decided to preserve him and use him to preserve all living things that needed to be preserved because he walked with the Lord. Anytime in scripture you see God download an incredible revelation, that phrase is there. Moses, in Exodus, it says, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks with a friend. This is what you and I need. This is what you and I want in our lives. You want to have a relationship where God speaks to you face to face like you would speak with a friend. 
It says, afterwards, Moses would return to the camp, uh, and so on and so forth. I'll skip along here. If you go all the way down to verse 16 in Exodus 33, it says, how is anybody going to know that you look favorably? This is Moses. How will anybody know that you look favorably upon me and upon your people if you don't go with us? Your presence among us sets your people and is what sets me apart from all other people on earth. Moses understood it. Without your presence, we are just another ragtag group of people in this nation traveling around through the wilderness. How are people going to know that you look favorably upon me if your presence isn't with us? Somebody who was so passionate about the presence of God, it should come as no surprise that five verses earlier it says they met face to face like a friend talks to a friend. Get a habit in your life of meeting face-to-face with a friend. Next week, as we do part three of who Jesus is, we're going to get into the way Jesus taught us how to pray. And I want to encourage you to come back for this, bring friends back with you, because this is much simpler than we think, having a prayer relationship with Jesus. Again, we see somebody walking with God. Moses here, walking with the Lord, hearing from the Lord. Often we say, I don't really ever hear anything from God. Well, are you walking with him? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you have a face-to-face relationship with him? Samuel, I'm not going to get into the whole story with Samuel, but he's sleeping at night, and he hears somebody trying to wake him up. And he goes and runs into the other room with Eli. He goes, yeah, what do you want? He says, get back to bed. I didn't say anything. Okay, he goes back to bed. He hears his name again. This happens a few times over and over. And finally, the older man realizes, hang on, this is God trying to wake this kid up. This is God trying to speak something to him. It says, I want you to get this. In 1 Samuel 3, this is on the church app. Uh, in 1 Samuel 3, in the first 10 verses, I won't read it all. But it says that Samuel, in verse 3, was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. And God called out to him, and he called out again, and he called out again, and he called out again. And in verse 9, Eli realized it was the Lord and said, Next time it happens, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And sure enough, the Lord came back, and he said, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. He was sleeping in the presence of God. Did you catch that in verse 3? In the tabernacle, sleeping next to the ark. Parents, there are some amazing lessons tied up to you and I. You want to do whatever you possibly can to raise your kids in the presence of God. I still remember to this day, I'm 41 now, and I still remember like it was yesterday in the small church downtown, uh, and then the small building that we bought on Garth, the first edition, sleeping under the seats when we would have late night services, and I'd fall asleep in my pajamas, my sister and I, and sometimes we'd wake up to everybody dancing and freaking out, and we'd be like crashed, you know. You might think, oh, my kids are just sleeping in church, what a waste of time. No, you have no idea when God is suddenly going to speak to them. And I still have vivid memories of being in some of the kids' classes here. And I remember a couple times having to walk out because I was about to burst into tears. And I thought, this is going to be embarrassing in front of all my friends. I'm eight years old, nine years old. And something welled up inside of me. We were practicing a song, singing a song. And I just was overcome by emotion. And I went into the bathroom. And I was weeping. And I was crying. And I'm like, what is this? Like, what's going on? And it was this sense in my heart. Like, it was like God was, I remember God speaking to me. We were singing a song about all the great things God wanted to do through our lives. And I remember it just, it just overwhelmed me. And a teacher came and found me, and I was just trying to act like I was all fine. But I was like, I'm going to get laughed at by all my friends here. I'm bursting out into tears for no good reason while we're singing this song together, right? God will show up and touch your kids when you least expect it. If you're raising them in the presence of God. 
I've read some studies recently on uh, families in church and, you know, how to uh, continue. And we believe as a church, families in the house of God and in the presence of God is so key. Shockingly, and I mean, it shouldn't be too shocking, I guess, they say that they have been able to discover one of the most harmful uh, things that happens to kids who are Christians raised in a Christian home one of the most harmful effects uh, that has on their lives and why, the, why when they see a lot of them who leave church or leave their relationship with God, as they've done all these studies and interviewed thousands of them, they've come back to something that is the most harmful thing a parent can do, and that is to establish a lifestyle of skipping church with your kids. They say of all the things, and you know, the guys who wrote, do these research are like, we would have expected it to be, you know, not reading your Bible as much at home as you should or whatever. But as they dug into it, they realized, like, it makes sense because from a young age, these kids are being taught that church is something we do when it's just easy and convenient to do. Otherwise, we're doing all kinds of other stuff. I remember as a kid, I loved baseball, and I was in baseball leagues for many, many years, and we had midweek Wednesday night services. We have a, you know, it's a bit different now with team nights and, and all that, but it was a full service back then on Wednesday nights. And our teams always played Wednesday nights, and guess who was never allowed to play a game on Wednesday night ever? This guy right here. Except there were, there were exceptions my parents would make. My parents were wise, and they didn't want to ever, you know, cross that line where kids start to hate or resent church. So playoff games or championship games, I was, I was allowed to do that. But you're just run-of-the-mill games throughout the year. They're like, no, we go to church. And we would tell the coaches at the start of the year, and, and that was that, and it was set. No problems. I didn't complain at all. I loved being here. I was raised in the house of God, and I loved being in the house of God. And of course, when playoffs came, I was super pumped that I was allowed to go play the playoff games. But it was established as an exception, a special treat, you know, uh, something unique, uh, something that's happening with the team. Parents, be a parent who prays. Be a parent who's in the word. Be a parent who models forgiveness. Be a parent who models unconditional love. Be a parent who walks with God and trust that even in your best efforts, which I know as a parent, often you feel like my best efforts are not working. My best efforts are frail. I keep messing up. I keep screwing up. God will show up and speak to your kids when you least expect it. When they're sleeping underneath here, when they're in some music practice, learning some song, God will show up if you are raising your kids in the presence of God. Because God loves generations. God loves your children. And of course, Jesus, who we're talking about here, and we'll finish up with this, he's the best example of somebody walking with the Father and being empowered and anointed. Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority, say all. All All authority has been given to me. Now go, disciple the nations. He says, I've been given all authority, and now I'm giving it to you. Jesus wants to give you authority. Jesus wants to give you power. Jesus wants you to experience more. Jesus wants you to live for something incredible. Jesus is saying, I've got all the power. I've got all the authority, and here I'm giving it to you. Don't miss this. He's able to say that because he truly does have all the authority. The only person who can give away the authority is the one who truly has it. Next time you pull up to a site, you know, where the police are directing traffic, uh, you know, there's some of the construction sites, and you pull up, and the police are directing traffic. You don't start paying it. You know, you don't try to look at this, the lights, and the police is standing there with his hand out, but the light's green, so I'm just going to floor it and go straight ahead here. You watch how fast you will get pulled over and, and absolutely uh, ripped one. You look at the police officer. He has all the authority. Those lights don't matter anymore. When that officer is standing there, all of a sudden the authority has shifted from the inanimate light hanging over the road to the guy standing there saying, no, you can just wait until I tell you. 
And then when the officer says it's time to go, you're allowed to go. Why? Because the one with the authority is the one who's allowed to give the authority. Nobody ever had a closer walk with God than Jesus himself. And he made it clear that he existed to do the will of his father. Are you living by your own will? Or have you surrendered and said, God, I want to live for your will. I want to live for your plans. I want to live for your purposes. Jesus wants to empower you to forgive, yes, even the most tough hurts. He wants to empower you to love people who, yes, aren't that lovely and are actually kind of annoying. Jesus wants to empower you to help disciple and train other people. This one here always floors me. I always think to myself, God, you're choosing to use little old me to help this person learn how to pray, learn how to read the word, learn how to, what it is to become a believer. Yeah, he is, and he set it up this way. And he wants every single one of you to realize he's called you to help others as well. Jesus has all that you need and wants to empower you to learn how to navigate successfully a blended family. Jesus has all that you need and wants to empower you to learn what it is to obey the Bible. Yeah, even the parts that stink and the parts that we don't like. He will empower you and help you to obey them. Jesus will empower you to understand even the deepest secrets in Scripture, the deepest secrets in the Word of God. Sin is going to clog up our relationship with God. Unforgiveness, all that's going to clog up our relationship with God. But we need to walk with him face to face like Moses did. Just like you would talk to a friend face to face. Jesus is the only king who demonstrated such compassion for people. In the Bible, there's a phrase, king of kings, that is used six times in scripture. Six times, king of kings. Once it's said about God. God the Father. Twice, it's said of Jesus. Okay, there's three of our six. Three times, it's used by earthly kings, like Nebuchadnezzar and other ones, to, uh, to express their total rule over their empire. So Nebuchadnezzar, his total rule over the Babylonian empire. The, he was referred to as the king of kings. The phrase Lord of Lords is used twice in the Bible, and both times it refers to God the Father, the Lord of Lords. In Revelation 19, 16, right near the end of the book, we see both of them put together, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And guess who it's referring to? Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This title refers to somebody with complete dominion and complete authority over everything. Nebuchadnezzar might have been the King of Kings over Babylon during that time. Other kings might have been the king of kings in their region uh, during the time they existed. But at the end, when it's all said and done, every single king, every single ruler, every single scholar, every single person is going to bow down and is going to honor the one who is called the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it is Jesus, the compassionate king, who wants to walk with you and talk to you face to face. The one who has all authority and wants to give you the authority. The one who has all anointing and wants to empower you with the anointing. The one who has all love and wants to pour out his love upon you, no matter how unloved you've been treated until now, Jesus' love will radically change your life. He is the one who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. A face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus is going to lead to new revelation. It's going to lead to deep freedom and fresh empowerment to do his will.
new revelation, deep freedom, and fresh empowerment to do his will. He's not just some random, far-off, strong-nosed king. He is that when he needs to be, but when it comes to you and I, he's a compassionate king. He's the king and king of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who at the end of the Bible, when it's all said and done, he gets both those titles combined and made very clear, here we are, the ultimate ruler. Here we are, the one whose kingdom will be established and it'll be the only kingdom left when everything's said and done. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How many are thankful today that you know Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Come on, go ahead and give him a hand. Jesus is good. Why don't we close our eyes? I'd love us to finish up here with a quick word of prayer for a couple of minutes before we wrap up. Jesus, we are so grateful that you love us the way you do. You are compassionate the way you are. You, are, you have the anointing. You have the authority. You have the forgiveness, the love. Everything that we need is found in you. And I pray that as we're taking these weeks and we're looking a bit deeper into who you are, that once again we would stop and ask ourselves, who do I say that he is? Who is Jesus in my life? Is he just a figurehead? somebody that I know about or do I talk to him face to face like I would a friend do I understand that I've been joined in to the greatest kingdom do I understand that he wants to empower and anoint me Lord I pray that every single one of us would leave here today with that fresh revelation that fresh understanding of who you are not just who you are vaguely but who you are to us specifically you see every person here. You see every story. You see the ones uh, who've been carrying hurt around for too long. You see ones who have been mistreated. You see ones who are dealing with pain and circumstances. Even tonight as we speak, you are here with the perfect love that every single one of us needs. You are here with that loving arm of compassion that every single one of us needs. I pray, Lord, that every one of us would just open up our hearts and say, here you are, have my life. I want to exist for your will, not mine. I give you full control, full surrender.